welcome back to the Meraki Unbox podcast. Super excited for another awesome episode today. And I'm going to be joined by someone who's actually returning to the podcast. And I'm very excited about that because I thought I had listened to every episode, but clearly there's one out there in the wild I have not listened to yet. So adding that to my to-do list for tonight. Uh, but uh, my name is Sammy Brenner. I'm going to be running us through today. We have a fantastic guest before we get into her journey, her story, learning a bit more about the Meraki ecosystem, uh, I'm going to do my shameless plug. So if you'd like to be on the podcast, if you have ideas, if there's maybe a subject we haven't covered yet that you're like, this would be freaking amazing to do an episode about, let us know. Go ahead and tweet at Meraki Simon. And if it makes sense to collaborate, we'd love your ideas, your input, your feedback. So without further further ado, let's do it. So Alicia has been with Cisco Meraki for almost six years now. She started as an individual contributor on the sales team as an account executive. Then she moved into an MDM specialist role on the transformation team. And now she is leading the global ecosystem team here at Cisco Meraki. Man, that is a whole lot of hats in a short amount of time. Uh, like she's not busy enough, she's also a mother of an adorable three-year-old son, and she has a seven-month-old daughter at home. She lives in the Bay Area. She's a mom. She's a badass at work. She does it all. Welcome back to the Meraki Unbox podcast. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Sammy? I'm so good, and I'm excited you're on, and I always love a repeat guest, so hopefully you have a lot more to say. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I always have something to say. <laughs> That's why you're on. That's why we love you. Okay, so starting with my first question that I ask every single guest, because we got to know your story. Let's start from the beginning. Tell us, how did you get into technology and how did you end up landing at Cisco Meraki specifically? Yeah, so when uh, I exited college, um, it was in the midst of the uh, Great Recession, so great chance to jump into the job market. Uh, kidding. But uh, when I did jump into the job market, I had all intentions of uh, doing government work as a political science major at UC Davis. Uh, but the only jobs that were available were sales jobs. So I started working at a manufacturer, uh, traveling the country, uh, getting department stores to bring in our product and, and sell it. Uh, but then from there, I entered a startup called Demand Force, uh, mm -hmm. And that's when I really got into tech sales as actually an, an ADR at the time doing cold calling uh, and then was quickly acquired by Intuit. Uh, so at working at Intuit, we, um, we were jumping into all sorts of different markets to sell our communication marketing software. So I started in automotive and they quickly found out that I was really good at kickstarting uh, divisions. So figuring out new uh, markets, uh, mm -hmm. segments, industries that we can sell our solution into mm -hmm. and solve problems for people. So did, did a lot of branching out and building up our medical division team, branching into, um, cosmetic, uh, dermatology, that sort of thing and selling our software into, uh, ultimately large hospitals. So, uh, that was how I entered into, into tech was, First, jumping into sales, then uh, elevating myself into an ADR role to then elevate myself into a sales role and then to a national sales consultant role. And then from there, 
I left, went to uh, another tech startup where I was actively recruited to join Rocky the whole time I was there mm. from a previous employer of Demand Force that actually still works at Meraki. I don't know if you know uh, Ryan Boudouin, but sure. uh, <laughs> he recruited me. And um, yeah, so then I came to Meraki. I figured, hey, I'll go jump into sales for a year and figure out what the company is all about, knowing that I would love to do another kickstart again for Meraki like I did for Intuit. And that's when the transformation opportunity presented itself, jumped into that, then was asked to do ecosystem and the rest is history. Wow. I know that's quite a, quite a mouthful. It, I love it though. It's always helpful to have background. And I love hearing what people majored in versus what you actually end up doing in your career. It, it, it you know, it's... That's why it's college is so exploratory and you try to figure it out, but you don't always know where you're going to land and you're so good at what you do. So I can't imagine you not being in this line of work. Um, so and luckily, luckily political science didn't get you and we have you here. <laughs> well, it's actually such a good point. And, and oftentimes people say things like, oh, you didn't end up using your major. And I would argue that I did. I mean, what I wanted to ultimately do after college was solve problems. Mm -hmm. Um and isn't sales just constantly solving problems for customers, right? Yep. It's just a, a different way in which I was able to use the skill sets that I learned from my collegiate time uh, and apply that to the tech world. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true. The, the skills are transferable. Um, so it's interesting. You brought up this theme that I keep hearing you say, you know, Kickstarter, and you love starting new projects and doing something new. And I think that's a perfect transition into sharing a bit more about where you're at now at Cisco Meraki, which is leading this ecosystem team. So for those folks listening in who are like, what the heck is that? What is the ecosystem? Tell me, what is your team responsible for? What do they do? And can you explain kind of what that term means here at Cisco? Yeah, so an ecosystem partner, uh, at least at Meraki, is a developer who builds, or even a solution provider that builds solutions on top of our cloud platform. So they extract the useful data sets that we have within the Meraki cloud platform, and they use that to power their, their applications. Uh, we can actually dive into that a little bit more in a bit, but leveraging the data from the platform, they can offer our customers uh, joint solutions, these applications that that uh, solve customer problems. So the main focus of our role, uh, or at least my team's job, is to attract, recruit, and onboard mm -hmm. and manage this community of developers and solution providers uh, and grow that community larger and larger mm -hmm. so we can solve just a wide range of problems for our customers. And not just our traditional customer, the IT or the IT buyer, the CIO, but also to address all the problems of the many lines of business within a company. Uh, so the solutions that we offer, these applications that are built, can solve problems not just for IT, but for the many lines of business within a company. Right, right. Okay. So could, theoretically, could anyone become an ecosystem partner? Like, what is the process? Um, how do they come to you? How do you go out and prospect them? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, so there's a couple of ways we do this. Uh, we we certainly boast our APIs out there in the market. So mm -hmm. in order to extract that useful data to power applications, that is the power of our API. So the more we promote our API, uh, the more developers and solution providers are attracted to our platform to serve their customers. Uh, so that's one way we go to attract this type of community and, and grow it. Uh, we also have a really strong grassroots movement where more of our ecosystem partners tell other 
uh, potential ecosystem partners, and it's kind of just a, a fire that's taken off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of it is organic growth. Our sales team is one of the biggest drivers, if not the biggest driver, in attracting uh, developers to our platform just by raising awareness, talking about it with customers, and customers talking with solution providers they use and say, hey, can you leverage some of that data from the Meraki Cloud platform? And uh, so that's how we've really grown today. Um, I mean, our marketplace now has over 100,000 views in just the last 45 wow. days. So <laughs> that's quite staggering, right? That's that's a variation of customers uh, looking for solutions to their problems. That's sellers promoting the marketplace and its solutions. And that's developers going, hey, what's this? Can I be a part of this? So right now, I would say it's primarily organic growth um, and the word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. No better marketing than word of mouth. I feel like that's incredible. Um, you mentioned it. So this is this is awesome. We're on the same page here. Something really amazing and unique about our platform is the Meraki marketplace. And that's essentially where all of these ecosystem partners are housed, right? It's kind of that like single one-stop shop where you can find out all of this information. So can you kind of explain wh- what is the marketplace? How did it come to be? And how is that a differentiator uh, from some of our competitors? Yeah, so like you said, the marketplace showcases all of these applications that our ecosystem partners build. Right. Um, And all of these applications that are listed in the marketplace are leveraging uh, APIs, formal integrations, in which they can extract the useful data from the platform uh, for their solutions to perform. So I keep... I keep saying that, but if you kind of want to visualize what I mean, because mm-hmm. data is so uh, general <laughs> and broad, um, some examples of these solutions that you can find in Marketplace are we have ServiceNow and PagerDuty applications, right? These are widely adopted solution providers uh, that provide solutions to customers, and we have a formal, uh, high-performing integration with those highly adopted solutions. And those are available in marketplace. So those commonly used IT networking uh, enterprise applications can just be turned on uh, for absolutely free. Wow. Uh, in addition to yeah, in addition to those that serve the CIO and IT buyer, we also have other applications that leverage data from the cloud platform. So for example, uh, a sales and marketing uh, person within a within a company can leverage applications that pull wireless analytics from Mm. our wireless access points so they can better understand how people are moving about the stores. They can optimize their merchandise and ultimately drive more sales. Mm -hmm. Or perhaps a physical security team can leverage our Meraki cameras and extract video to make sense of license plates to identify whether or not there's a trespassing car in a parking lot. Uh, This is what I mean by leveraging the useful data sets, whether you're you know, looking for incident management and alert monitoring with ServiceNow and PagerDuty, that's great for an IT manager, right? Whether you are trying to raise the level of performance within sales and marketing, you can use things like wireless and camera analytics and, you know, as serious as a physical security team identifying trespassing vehicles or or um, identifying anomalies that could be potentially threatening. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this is the type of thing that we can power. Wow. That's incredible. So is it safe to assume that like you've seen a shift in 
the the APIs within our marketplace. Like it sounds like it was much more IT focused at one point. Not that it isn't, but now it's like the physical security buyer or a sales team or a marketing team is wanting this an- these analytics. Like, have you seen a shift since even you've been in the role? Absolutely. I would say uh, four years ago, it was primarily um, IT solutions, mm-hmm. which is still in, in, incredibly important, right? The more we can optimize for IT and CIO, the better they can uh, operate for the and serve the other lines of business within their companies. Uh, they can they're not getting uh, larger budgets, right? Lots of IT is operating exceptionally lean. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are still incredibly important and we still see a, a, a great deal of solutions come through. But there has been a shift where where uh, we are solving problems for customers. They had no idea their networking and camera infrastructure could do for them. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, a great example of this, I was on a, a call with a customer last week and it was a situation where they were making a decision on wireless access points, and it wasn't the the CIO uh, who was making this or calling the shots, rather on the um, on the what they would ultimately purchase for for wireless. It was their membership renewal team wow. uh, because they want to leverage wireless access points to engage uh, the visitors in the gym and keep loyalty up and keep people renewing their gym memberships. So now you're seeing uh, a membership renewal team making technology decisions like wireless for their business. Uh, So we are seeing that trend. We're seeing other lines of business making decisions in lockstep with their IT teams so they can power uh, this new future with data. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, the wheels are turning in my brain right now because I, you know, as a business development director, that's what we're thinking about doing is who are we reaching out to? Who are we having conversations with? Who are the decision makers? And to your point, I feel like it's changed so much in the last four or five years to where it's not just IT that's making these calls, right? It, it's the different segment as different segments of the business. And I especially feel like post-pandemic and hybrid work and these environments and how are we leveraging our data and doing more with less. Uh, so it's cool to see that you're you're seeing that reflected on your side too. Um, I mean, it's clear that there's a major investment, right, coming from Cisco, coming from Rocky to our ecosystem uh, team, API integrations. Like, I think it is the future. It is the differentiator. We've got partners asking about it. We've got Cisco asking about it. And I can just hear in your voice, like, you light up when you talk about this stuff. So let me ask, like, what is so exciting to you about this particular segment of the business and, like, where does your passion and energy come from? I think my passion comes from my history in sales. Um, in other words, I think I think all sales rules are essentially rules in which they solve problems for customers. I mean, that's what you professionally do for a living. If sales had another word for it, it'd be problem solver for mm-hmm. customers. And I think that's what lights me up is that uh, we are solving various problems for our customers that they can imagine that their networking IoT stack could solve for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's twofold. They're, the first part is we solve problems for customers that uh, that goes beyond network performance, right? So it, it's great that we can offer a reliable, high-performing, secure wireless so those can connect to uh, the internet. Uh, but just as importantly, it, it's great that we can also 
you know, help with membership renewals, like I mentioned, or, or keep campuses safer. Or, I mean, there's just so many problems that we can solve with mm-hmm. this, uh, with this platform uh, that, that really excites me. And there's nothing better than, you know, having a conversation, like I mentioned the gym, uh, the gym trying to have more membership renewals. Uh, I mean, can you imagine having an in-person conversation and talking to a gym membership renewal team and they go, man, how do we get, how do we get more renewals this year? And you go, oh, your wireless access point will make a difference. And they're like, what? <laughs> so right. it's, uh, I think that's what makes it so exciting because it's so shocking. Mm-hmm. And when they realize that the, the infrastructure that they choose for their building is going to make that much of a difference for their business, that, uh, that certainly excites me. And then it, the, the ecosystem partners who develop on this platform, the entrepreneurship, the innovation, uh, that is very exciting. Uh, these are, this is the epitome of, uh, of entrepreneurship, right? Where we have these companies building these incredible solutions of the future and our platform is attracting that. It's almost breeding all these different applications and we're growing so fast, we can't even keep up with all the applications to be frank. Today, we offer over 250 solutions. Uh, we are by far the most high-performing marketplace in both networking and IT. And I think that's what, you know, these two big reasons here, uh, both that we can solve all these various problems for everyone, and then also um, dominating the space of innovation and entrepreneurship. Those are the two most exciting pieces. Yeah. Uh, I think that excites everybody. Totally. That's such a good point. It's like these these folks are getting to create and develop and the Meraki platform is so powerful and word of mouth and attracting all these people. And we have 250 ecosystem partners live and you said we can't even keep up with the applications. Like that's just insane. Um, the popularity overnight and the, the innovation and people being so creative and using our platform as like the jumping off point. I think that's so cool. And this is a perfect this is a perfect segue because we're talking about innovation and transformation and getting people on board which is essentially exactly what a good leader is does and i want to i want to pivot and talk about the stuff that really gets me going which is um, strong females in leadership. And I love interviewing people on this podcast who are strong female leaders at our company. And your story is interesting because you started right as an individual contributor and now you're leading this team. So talk to us. I mean, you know, what was that leadership journey like for you at Meraki? Um, did you always feel like you had the sense that you wanted to lead or did you kind of fall into it? I'm curious, you know, what it, what did it look like for you? Yeah, so when I joined Meraki, I know we referenced, Ryan's going to laugh that we referenced him so much on this uh, podcast. Um, Shout out to Ryan. I remember when I applied, uh, when Ryan was adamant that I come to to Meraki, I remember vividly where I was when I had this conversation with him. And he's like, join Meraki. There's all this great opportunity. You'll crush it here. You could just jump into sales, crush sales for a year, and then figure out what you want to do in the company. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And I like ended up doing that. Um, mm-hmm. but <laughs> Weird. It, uh, <laughs> but it ended up, I always knew, as I do love sales. I love working directly with customers. Uh, I love working with partners to solve customer problems. Um, but I always knew that I wanted to have a role where I could up, I have a very much an upstart personality, like a kickstart personality. I love creating something out of nothing, mm. uh, which is what 
so like as much as I love sales, I knew that's where I was going to, what I was going to seek out. Uh, in previous capacities, like at Intuit, uh, they always assign me with how to do something new. Like, hey, we've been selling to automotive shops. Can you figure out how we can break into dealerships? And then I'd make enough cold calls and ask enough questions to figure out what problems a dealership has versus an automotive shop. And they go, oh, she figured that out. You know, hey, can you figure out how we can sell to ophthalmology over optometry? And then I'd figure that out. And then they go, oh, how can we sell to dermatology instead of just, um, you know, dental and optometry? Figure that out. Uh, and then it even got even more challenging. How do we sell to hospitals that have little or no money <laughs> wow. uh, in the middle of a financial crisis where uh, they don't have a ton of funding? And um, and then I'd have to figure that out. Like what pain points do they have versus a dermatologist versus an optometry versus a dealership? So I've always had a kickstart personality. I love figuring out how to solve problems. So I was always going to gravitate to a role uh, where I could solve more problems. And ultimately that led to the leadership position I'm in now uh, to lead a team that uh, uh, kickstarts something completely new to the market and uh, and solves problems. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it did. I mean, a follow-up on that, what has been your experience being a leader? I mean, what, you know, first time leading a team, you're going to learn a lot along the way. What's kind of been the most surprising thing for you? Hmm. At least with the the existing team that I have now, uh, I I don't know if it kind of innately happened or subconsciously happened during the recruiting process, but we have we have seemed to attract people who also are just equally as passionate uh, of helping customers and solving customer problems as I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so leading a team, um, w- what I've learned is you. You don't have to do it alone and you can share you can share that passion and vision uh, with a group of people and with an entire company uh, and with an entire community, like you mentioned, Cisco and the customers we serve. So I think that's what I've learned uh, in leadership, that this can be a really contagious thing and it doesn't have to be some personal ambition. Right. Right. Yeah. You, you mentioned this several times. You love creating something out of nothing. You know, how do I go and do something new? That is a very, that's an awesome skill set because that can be extremely intimidating to people who, you know, maybe they start a new role or start a job somewhere and there isn't a roadmap, right? It's a blank page and they've got to go figure it out. And let's say that's not innately someone's personality or that's something that someone wants to work on. That's a characteristic that it's like, I want to create um, and I want to dig into my toolbox what would you say to someone? I mean, I know it fuels you naturally, but what what are some ways that someone who's looking to do that or looking to get outside the box or bring something new to a team, where could they start? I think if you, um, well, this is just my experience, but if you authentically want to help somebody mm-hmm. or serve somebody or solve a problem for someone or a customer, I feel, at least for me, it's everything's always fallen in the place. Um, so if you, if your north star is, I sell a product or I sell a solution or I sell a service or whatever, or maybe you have your own business, whatever it is that you're doing, and you passionately feel that you can help someone else, and that's your north star and every decision that you make, I feel as if, at least in my career, everything has fallen into place. So. You know, I mentioned all the different medical divisions that we broke into at Intuit. Um, I think by 
asking a lot of the right questions and figuring out uh, a lot of the struggles and pain and and problems that businesses were having and then figuring out how to apply the tech that I was selling to solve those things. Uh, it made upstarting those things very easy because mm -hmm. if you can solve problems, uh, it's amazing how much the people on the other end will embrace you and, and purchase what you're selling and rally behind you and how you build a community that believes in the same thing as you, but it has to be authentic. And if it's not, uh, people don't naturally uh, gravitate towards that. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. I mean, that's how you convey your value, right? And a good seller is going to listen more than they talk. And if it's understanding the pain point what's your issue, and then you're coming back with how to provide value to that specific customer and that specific use case, you're going to gain trust and credibility, like right off the bat. Absolutely. And I mean, even just today, we, I was, I was asked, hey, I have a, a retail store with 1,200 locations. What solution and marketplace can help them? Um, <laughs> That's almost the equivalent of saying, you know, I'm thinking of a number from one through 10. Right. <laughs> Guess what it is, yeah. right? Um, without actually sitting down with that customer and asking, you know, what they're going through and what their ambitions are and what they want to achieve and where they want to go and what consistently continues to be a problem and then figuring out what solutions can solve for those problems, you're kind of missing the mark, right? So to kind of get back to the, the question of, you know, how do you kickstart something if you are authentically helping others and solving problems for others, everything else falls into place. Uh, at least again, that's what I, what I've experienced. What yeah. I feel. It's great advice. It really is. And I feel like you kick down doors to make things happen. Why do I get the hunch? That's just your personality. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I passionately feel I can, you know, help others or that these solutions are real yeah. and the entrepreneurs that I meet every day have something to offer customers I'll kick down every door and stand on every soapbox to make mm -hmm. sure every customer knows that we're here and we have these incredible companies that we work with, that we've joined forces with mm -hmm. to help them. And uh, and if it means uh, doing those types of activities <laughs> that are very yeah. aggressive um, to get their attention because I know authentically I'm coming from a good place and I know we can help them, um, and so be it. Yeah. I mean, aggressive or assertive, right? I feel like, you know, it's there's nothing wrong with saying what you need and getting it done. And I think, well, this we'll, we'll talk about this in a second, the likability dilemma. We'll get there. Um, but I want to ask you a question, and this is somewhat personal because I just I see the way you operate within a company and I see how you get things done. But I think this could be relevant for anyone listening in any role navigating through Cisco and Meraki and getting approvals and going through the chains and, you know, the red tape on certain things. How do you move efficiently with, you know, throughout the organization? How do you get things done quickly? Uh, you know, I've, I see you work and I think you ha you're pretty masterful at this. So can you give some, can you share, I guess, how you do that so well? I would say that every person I meet throughout Meraki and Cisco, I I want to um, recruit believers. Mm -hmm. So I want to recruit people who will believe in in, in what we're doing here. Um, and sometimes some people are more ready than others. <laughs> so 
Um, so I'll come back around to maybe people that aren't ready to believe yet. And, uh, and that happens a lot, uh, but it's happening less frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you kind of alluded to that. And, and we're, we're recruiting more believers to believe in what it is that we're doing. Um, and when I connect with people, it's not just transactional, like, oh, yeah. I'm going to convince this person so I can get something. No, it's, it's I'm going to convince this person so we can get aligned and we're both on the same mission. And now we can go help the customers like we intend to do. So mm-hmm. I think that the best way is if you really believe in what you're doing, um, that, that authenticity is incredibly contagious and people want to rally around that mm-hmm. some sooner than others. You could come back around to those people. Um, but that's how I've navigated Meraki and Cisco. I found something that I uh, believe in with all my heart, mind, and soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and people feel that and then they rally. So now we have just um, a large group of believers, mm-hmm. both inside and outside of the company. Yeah. Yeah. And would you say when you recruit these believers, is it a mix of, I mean, clearly you're off your authenticity, who you are, showing up with energy, showing up with passion is part of it. It's the storytelling and then it's the data component, right? Like all three kind of have to align. Yeah. So um, stories is really important, right? So talking about talking about how uh, we solved the customer problem and the way it happened was, you know, customers considering another option or had threw up their hands and said, I can't solve this problem. And then ultimately being able to do so because we joined forces with a partner to deliver a solution. Um, I think the accumulation of those stories, uh, they just keep getting big. It's just a massive wave at this point. Um, so when people start to see, wow, that customer problem is solved, that customer problem is solved. It wasn't just a small business. It wasn't just a large enterprise. It's starting to be just about uh, every shape and size of a customer. Um that that's really what's made made the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Let's circle back to this likability dilemma for women. So as any good podcaster would, I stalked your LinkedIn and you had liked or shared uh, a TED talk that was like 10 minutes long and it was called The Likability Dilemma for Women Leaders. Um, and it was by Robin Hauser. And I watched the video and I loved it and it totally resonated with me. And I was like, I got to talk to her about this when she's on the podcast. So, you know, the long and the short of it is uh, her point that women in business, women in technology experience this likability dilemma, which is do I want to be liked or do I want to get things done and, you know, be assertive and aggressive or all these things that I think women are sometimes called in business who just have a point of view and want to get things done. And it's it's very it's a it's a, a balance. Right. I guess you have to strike. What did you why did you share it? First of all, um, what do you think of the video and what has your experience been as as a woman in business? Man, that's. That's a lot of questions. It's, it's heavy. <laughs> I, you know, I, I basically do three in one, so you can pick that apart. <laughs> I will. Yeah. The like, likability dilemma for women. Well, this, it's funny. It's funny that I liked it because I had, I did watch it, but like I, I'd seen it before. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, like, I remember agreeing with this. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, I think at least in my career, um, especially when I was starting out, I, I did feel, especially in sales, that there was a, an image 
of what a successful salesperson looks like. Uh, and it was primarily um, not women. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, the the rah-rah movies you see with like Alec Baldwin always be closing to Leonardo DiCaprio and the Wolf of Wall Street, yep. to Gordon Gecko and uh, in Wall Street. Um, there's this, you know, the boiler room, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's all these um, personas of what makes a great uh, sales person and what that's supposed to, to look like, um, which almost in effect, maybe unintentionally also simultaneously says what it's not, what it doesn't look like. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. It sure does. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you watch these, these films where it's these, these men that, that, uh, that, um, are supposed to, uh, represent what, a successful sales or business person looks like and they always you know outsmart the other person on the other line or you know they close that person right it's so speaking of aggressive um that's like supposed to be the nature of it and like that is really um celebrated (laughs) just in those films right um and i found out is very much celebrated at least in my early especially my earlier career um that was also celebrated as well. I'll, I'll never forget a a meeting I was in where they were like rah-rahing us up, like, we got to close out the quarter. And they played the Wolf of Wall Street footage. Oh, wow. And all the women in there were like, this is not really motivating. Right. This feels a little tone deaf. Yeah. And doesn't this guy end up in jail? Um, yes, he so, does. Um, so I guess... It's interesting why I'm telling, saying all this, because I, I do think the dilemma to get back to your question is there's this like persona that, you know, what a successful business or salesperson is supposed to look like. And that and that is, you know, um, that that man. Right. And uh, the dilemma for women is when they if they were to do all the identical behaviors of any of the characters in that film or any of the men that I worked with in previous sales roles, they would be considered abrasive too much, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it would definitely just be received differently. So when I saw the video come across my LinkedIn, having seen it before and then liking it, um, I, I was able to relate to that dilemma because I know uh, that, you know, men are glorified when they, when they do those types of behaviors, but when women do it, it's an inconvenience. It's annoying. It's aggressive. It's too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, Yeah. uh, that's why I ultimately liked it. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a, it was just interesting to, you know, and she uses a lot of examples that are kind of somewhat similar in the video and it's only 10 minutes. So I definitely recommend watching it, but do you feel um, Alicia, like as a female leader that you, it's a balancing act between being liked or respected. Do you ever feel like you can't, are you concerned with, I'd rather be liked? Some some women, not so much, right? Some women might really struggle with this. I'm, I'm wondering as a, a leader, where do you kind of stand on that spectrum? I would say I admittedly am not that concerned with likability. <laughs> Wait, I love that. <laughs> so, um, I I'd rather be associated with how much I get done. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm always someone who gets done, it'd be 
it makes it really challenging for whoever's managing managing me or the company I'm working for to not like me, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So um, I do ultimately lean on being um, very performance driven. And the more I perform, uh, the more I'll be liked. And um, so I guess that's how I deal with this uh, dilemma. I don't carry the persona nor would I want to of any of the uh, characters I just mentioned, but instead choose the approach to perform and and to perform in this role is to solve as many problems for customers. And that ends up resulting in uh, wins for the company, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I guess that's how I, I go about it. Yeah. I, I, I love that you just owned that. Like I don't care as much about likability as I do doing my job, performing well, supporting my people, which in turn will, you know, cause you to be liked. But I think I I resigned myself to that a long time ago as a leader. I would way rather be respected um, than liked by everyone because you're just in in business. That's impossible, right? You can do your best. You can show up. You can be in your authentic truth. You can try your best. You're never going to make everyone happy right at the end of the day. But I think being performance driven, being awesome, right, showing up and, and having a sense of purpose in the work you do is so much more important than wanting to be liked by everyone. And I think especially for first time managers, right, or being a first time leader, it's natural to want to be liked. I think humans in general, right, we, we all want to be liked. But when you set that aside and, and reside to just doing the work and putting your head down and, and um, putting your people first and results come, it, it all evens out in the end. But um, I hear you on that. Yeah, I mean, you could either, you know, try to fit these personas that uh, apparently are perceived as as likable, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, for certain people, or you can, um, or one of my favorite sayings is from Steve Martin, uh, be so good, they can't ignore you. Yeah. Ooh, that's <laughs> and, a good one. Yeah, it's like one of my favorites. So, um, you know, again, if you're performance based, and you're, and you're so good that you can't be ignored. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess if one's desire is to be liked, no better way than than to perform and be so good they can't ignore you. Totally, totally. Or what is it? I'm going to butcher this, but Michael Scott, I guess they asked, <laughs> would you rather be loved or feared? He's like, I want them to fear how much they love me. <laughs> that, was, yes. that was his answer to that. Um, okay, so we're coming up on time. I have one more question to ask. I always love to end with a call to action of sorts. Um, and then we'll wrap it up. But you have to come back again. Of course. Yeah. Yes. yes. We, this is the thing now. Now that you've done two, I mean, it's just every couple of months. You got to go for three. You got to go, go for three. For the triple hat. Mm-hmm. Triple hat. There we go. So if someone's listening and they're at Cisco or Meraki or perhaps they want to become, you know, an API uh, partner and within our ecosystem and you've sparked curiosity, where can people go? Where can people learn about your team or find you? Tell us where they should begin the journey. Yeah, so it's really easy. Uh, the first place I would start is the Meraki Marketplace. So uh, that's currently apps.meraki.io. So apps, A-P-P-S dot, uh, excuse me. Yeah, apps.meraki.io. Um, once you land there, you can discover the right applications for you. So we're, we're always optimizing the site to better the uh, discoverability of the right application for, for each customer. So uh, just by going there and navigating the site, you can start to uncover what solutions we have to offer. And 
you know, don't just visit once, come back and visit it three months from now, because it's likely there's going to be 25 new solutions that weren't there the last time you were there. So that would be the number one recommendation I would give anyone listening to the podcast is to explore the Meraki marketplace, find out what solutions exist, and then continue that exploration uh, as you continue your Meraki journey. Beautiful. Heard it here first. Alicia Lorenzetti, thank you so much for coming and chatting with us today. No problem. Thank you so much for having me, Sammy. You're the absolute best. It was my pleasure. And that wraps up another episode, folks, of the Meraki Unbox podcast. My name is Sammy Brenner. Be sure that you subscribe, download, listen, tell all your friends and family about how amazing this podcast is. We are producing new content every two weeks. So we will see you back here soon. Take care. Take care.